The Good Neighbor Network, FM 101.9 and AM 1450 Murfreesboro, FM 100.5 Smyrna, and online at WGNSRadio.com. This is the WGNS Action Line, talking with Rutherford County newsmakers about what matters most to you. Now, your host, Bart Walker. Well, good morning to you. Welcome in. Today, we have an interesting program, something that I think you're going to walk away with some new information that hopefully you won't need, but if you do need it, you got it. (laughs) Our guest this morning, Brandon Bass. He is a local attorney here in town with John Day Law. Brandon, good morning to you. Morning, Bart. Good to have you with us today. Good to be here. You ready for a little more snow? Did you have some fun at the last uh, snowfall we had? Uh, A little bit. I was uh, stuck at home anyway, feeling under the weather with the, the bug going around, so I was staying inside watching the beautiful snow anyway ah yeah well there's a chance we might see it again this weekend don't know for sure but we'll find out anyway uh this morning we're going to be looking at a lawsuit and people need to think about is the lawsuit the route that you need to take and if it is uh what's the procedure so let's let's look at the life of a lawsuit today uh, where, where should we start? Maybe what info should the two sides share? Something like that. Sure. Well, you know, one of the things that, that modern law really does well is making everybody put all their cards on the table. Um, anybody who's ever served on jury duty knows you get dragged into the courtroom. Uh, not a whole lot of people are excited to take the time off work or away from their family. So going in there for no good reason, if the parties, if the people who are in the lawsuit could figure it out for themselves, it would be great to do that before they dragged in everybody, uh, 12 people from the local community and made them sit through jury duty. So once a lawsuit's filed, both sides have to turn over all their evidence to each other. You send each other written questions and the other side has to answer and you answer them under oath just like you would answer putting your hand on the Bible and and swearing in court. You answer under oath and you give the other side the documents that they need to get ready for the case. You give them the information that they need to get ready for the case and, and you're entitled to get the same stuff from them. You get to ask, you know, if it's a car accident case, where were you going? What were you doing at the time? Uh, you get copies of their title for their car, photographs of the scene, photographs of injuries and medical records. Some folks respond to that and think, uh, why should I have to turn this stuff over to somebody who's either hurt me or is, is suing me? But it's a really, really good practice. It makes it so that before anybody walks into a courtroom, they've gotten to see what the other side has to say about the case. And they can evaluate, you know, is this a good case to go take up a jury's time or is this a good case for us to sit down around a conference table and try to get done that way? So how long does it take to do this? I mean, this it takes a while to do this. And I would think that during that process, you would have an opportunity, whether you're the lawyer or the person who's involved, to think this out, is this really the right thing to do? It's an excellent question about how long a case takes. So when you file a lawsuit here in Tennessee, uh, you file papers with the court saying what you think the other side did wrong, why you think they owe you money. Uh, And if you get sued, 
you file papers coming back across saying, well, I, I agree I did this, that, or the other thing, but I disagree about whatever else it is that they've said. I don't really think this person's hurt as bad as they say they are, or I, it wasn't me driving the car. I don't know even why I've been brought into this court. You put all those things into the court right away. From that point, a, a lawsuit can take um, a wild difference in the amount of time. You hear about small claims. You remember Judge Wapner used to be on TV with the People's Court, which is sort of a version of small claims court, where that, that kind of case can take very little time, you know, weeks or a few months, because there's not a lot of documents being exchanged. You're just supposed to show up and, and tell the judge why you think one side should pay the other. Those kind of cases are, are relatively fast. In a more significant case, uh, it could take a minimum of a year and sometimes several years. The reason for that is a, what all do you have to exchange to get all the cards on the table? For example, if you got a simple car wreck where one person rear-ended another, there's not a whole lot of documents to exchange. There's not a lot of information that everybody has. Uh, the fact is most of us do not have those cameras you can get installed on the front of your car if you go on the internet you can see people post up their pictures most people are not coincidentally in a crash where there's a, a a doorbell camera showing it there's not a lot to gather in a lot of those cases but you get into a more significant more more challenging case uh you get in a case for example where uh um a medical malpractice case, for example. In a medical malpractice case, there is all sorts of paperwork to be exchanged. And in modern times, most hospitals, pretty much every hospital, they're not using those paper charts where you can just say, give me your 10 or 12 pages of documents filled out by the doctor. Instead, you got all kinds of electronic records. You got to have IT people going through and gathering it. So the process from beginning to end, on a very, very low end, it'll take a little more than a year. On a high end, should not take a few years. But frankly, Bart, sometimes life gets in the way. Once you got enough people at stake in the case, you bring in experts, you bring in all these witnesses that gotta talk and testify and things, and you gotta coordinate with their calendars. It could just be challenging. The more people you have to get it to a meeting, the more difficult it is to find a time on everybody's calendar where they can set aside a whole day. So the more people involved in a case, the more issues in a case, the longer it can take. Has this coronavirus period made the challenge even greater? Um, yes. Uh, so we have done a really good job. I, I say we as the, the legal community as a whole, I, I don't take a whole lot of credit for this. We've done a really good job from judges, lawyers, and everybody involved in cases and figuring out ways to use Zoom and other things to have meetings without requiring everybody to be in the same room. That helps a good bit. It can make things awkward. I, I mean, I've, I sat in on a meeting with somebody in a, a very formal meeting and there was, it was a Zoom meeting and there's probably a dozen or so folks involved. It was a formal interview of a witness where there's a court reporter typing it up and it's important this whole testimony is gonna be used in court and kept hearing a squeaky sound in the background, like re, 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 over and over again. About 20 minutes in, one of the lawyers spoke up and said, listen, I need to apologize. I don't know if the mic's picking it up, but I'm having to work from home right now and we just got a puppy. <laughs> <laughs> so in the background the whole time you hear the little dog squeak toy. Re, re, re. Right. 
we figured out ways, but that at least advances the ball as opposed to finding times when everybody can get in the same room. The real challenge with the coronavirus is when you do have time scheduled for everybody to get in the same room, we got isolation periods and things. When people are getting sick, you don't want everybody sitting shoulder to shoulder with each other if one person's coughing and got a fever and things like that. So the big challenge is, despite working to schedule stuff, things may get punted because an essential person may be sick when it's when it's time for everybody to sit down. I, I, one real challenge, and it's so far, this has rarely uh, been as big of an issue as it could be. But if you go into a jury trial when you're actually scheduled for trial, well, that takes a whole lot. You got to get on the judge's calendar. The court clerk has to send out these letters to everybody telling all the jurors it's time for you to come into court. And then you sit down and a jury trial takes, you know, somewhere between two days and sometimes a few weeks. Once everybody's sitting in the same room, you got to worry, what happens if one of them gets sick during trial and starts exposing everybody else? So I would say the challenges are the same thing everybody else is dealing with, the unknown uh, and uncertainty of who's going to be well on the day we all got to be there. Uh, so far, and knock on wood, it'll keep that way. So far, it, it's been more anxiety and more working to... to develop contingency plans in case you know if one person's sick can we go forward without that person how do we go forward without having stuff just completely blow up and say we got to reset i've had stuff that had to be reset because people just could not be in a courtroom the day that they had planned to be um knock on wood it won't happen too often going forward now i understand that with so many of the cases that we report on on the radio of course we don't use names on this because they're juveniles but uh so many of the crimes today are being committed by young people juveniles uh are those cases an even larger uh i don't want to say headache but uh, more complicated so i do not practice juvenile criminal work so what i know about it is is from law school and, and discussions with folks and 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 being around uh, other people, but I won't claim to have any firsthand knowledge of being in those courtrooms. Here's what I know is different though when you got a, a kid who's accused of a, a crime, especially one that's not serious enough to be tried as an adult, but is serious enough that they're gonna have a court case out of it. With a kid, there are other issues that are in play in terms of what's their home life like? Do they have a support network? Are we about to send somebody back home into an environment that's going to turn them into a hardened criminal? And at the same time, are the courts well equipped? Do they have the information they need to even decide that? I mean, everybody who's a parent knows it's a, it is a hard job. It does not come with an instruction manual. It's the most hard and most rewarding job you'll ever have is being a parent. And so for the courts to try to guess at what a kid's home life is, whether they are whether they have structures that are going to allow them to go to school, keep fed, and learn discipline and learn to be a, a good human being, that's a tough question in a lot of cases. One of the things that they do is they'll, in many circumstances, the judge will pick at a local lawyer and say, why don't you go do an investigation and report back to us? 
and they may go by and, and check out the family environment, check out the home life and see is, is the kid getting home at night? Or do they have a place to sleep? Do they have food? Do they have parents who are around to make sure that they're, that their needs are being met and that they're not um, running amok? While you mention investigations, I, my mind, because I'm not a lawyer, turns to Perry Mason. <laughs> and he had, uh, I don't remember the guy's name, but he had a guy who went out and investigated situations dealing with the lawsuit that they were filing. Do lawyers still do that? Yes. Uh, it can vary depending on the lawyer and the case you know some stuff frankly i'll go out myself and take a look there's no substitute for seeing with your own eyes and and pacing off a scene of if somebody uh tripped over something there's a large pole sticking up out of the ground that you can't see there's no substitute for laying your own eyes on it and seeing just how much that pole's actually sticking up and things but other times you may send out an investigator who will go around and interview witnesses and, and gather things. Those private investigators are really good at what they do. Uh, they've got access to databases and things to track folks down. And they can tell you this person who appears to have been involved in a crash or have witnessed a crash, they've skipped town. The law doesn't know where they is and they don't expect to find this person anytime soon. Or they can say, I found them, and they actually they're living with a, a cousin a few counties away. If you'd like to talk to them, the the investigator's role is um, it's irreplaceable in a lot of circumstances. So it is a very important role in the case. You know, we talked a minute ago about exchanging information with the other side. A part of that is uh, you're having to take them at their word. Well. We all know not everybody's word is as good as everybody else's. So sending out an investigator to figure out, is this person really telling the truth? They say that they haven't, you know, they haven't been able to go to work since they were in this car accident. Well, if an investigator gets photos and video of the person showing up to work every single day for a week, there's a pretty good sign that you may not trust that about what the person says, or, or frankly, anything about what this person says. So, uh, Reagan was fond of a phrase he picked up from Gorbachev, trust but verify. And I think that is the key phrase for a lawyer. Trust but verify everything the other side says. Now, let's say somebody's listening right now. They are not uh, thinking about uh, filing a lawsuit or anything. But what they don't know is this afternoon they're going to be involved in an automobile accident. They don't know uh, that that's coming, and even when it comes, they may not realize how seriously injured they may be. What should they do as this starts to transpire? That's an excellent question. So, in a car accident, it's a great question. You know, we're driving around several thousand pound vehicles, and, and when they bang into each other, um, it usually hurts. Even if you're in a car accident that you never have to see a doctor from, uh, most of us have been in those where there's a a little more than a love tap you still feel sort of banged up and and uh jittery for a day or so so you don't know right off the bat first thing i would do is make sure everybody's okay don't count on anything that's just a, just be a good human being make sure everybody at the scene is okay and call 911 make sure that the not just the police are coming but anybody who needs help is going to get it um check the folks in your car and check the other people 
then once you've satisfied yourself that nothing no, there's no fuel leaking or anything else nobody's in any imminent danger the next thing I do is a exchange information if it there's plenty of times when I get people that call me and say I got in an accident but I don't know who it was with it's real hard to track that person down based upon the, just information that says I think they were in a car you know, <laughs> there's a lot of cars out there in the state of Tennessee. So the more information you can get, you're supposed to under the law. You're supposed to exchange your contact information and your insurance information with the other person. If you have that, a whole lot can be done from it. If there are any witnesses at the scene, I wouldn't tell them your life story, but I would ask for their contact information. Your lawyer, or you can call them later and get the details from what they saw, what they remember. But it if you don't have it if you just again if you just say well there was a guy who was about six foot tall standing there at the intersection it's real hard to track down just a random six foot tall person who was in nashville on one day of the week right? you know as you say this i'm thinking your cell phone camera is a good source to to store this information take a picture of that witness take a picture of the witnesses uh driver's license then you know where they are uh, take a picture of the insurance card from the persons involved in the accident. Take a picture of their driver's license. Take a picture of them, their car. Take a lot of pictures. Is that wrong? Oh, it's, it's an absolutely great idea. You know, if you ever look on your insurance card with all those phone numbers and things, frankly, it could take a long time to write all that down. Oh, yeah, yeah. A simple photograph. Just save yourself time, if nothing else. And when I was a kid, we used to play Nintendo. Okay? And when you played Nintendo, the old, old Nintendo style, they'd have these passwords that were fill up a computer screen or a TV screen of 24 random letters. <laughs> if you didn't punch in every letter just right, your game was destroyed. You'd never get back there. Well, some of those insurance cards will have like a 24-digit thing. You know, what's your member ID number? And it goes on. An 8 can look like a 9 a whole lot of times from hand, sloppy handwriting at the scene of a crash. Take a photo. One thing that people often don't think of is taking a photo of the vehicles before they're moved you want to get the vehicles out of the way again job number one is making sure nobody's hurt nobody's going to get hit, hurt worse so you don't want your two cars crashed in the middle of the road just waiting for somebody else to bang into them but snapping a few pictures of the resting positions of the vehicles can help a great deal we talked a minute ago about trust but verify I can't tell you how many times, Bart, I'm in a lawsuit and somebody just swears up and down. The other side swears up and down. I, we didn't make any contact. I don't know what they're talking about. I, any damage to the back of their vehicle, that, that, what, that didn't come from me, and I, I never touched them. Well, a photograph that shows that the two vehicles or the, the rear vehicle is six inches inside of the front vehicle goes a long way towards rebutting that kind of stuff. It's real hard, again, to try and get that later after everything's been moved. The other component from that is um, most folks, it's hard for me to think anybody who isn't going to want their car to be fixed or replaced. You want to get your back on the road. Most of us do not have an extra car sitting around the garage just awaiting as, a, as a, an extra vehicle. So you want to get your car fixed. Well, the degree of damage to a vehicle can... Um, can be important to folks in trying to figure out. One guy says this was a very serious crash. The other guy says it was barely a love tap. If the vehicles have been fixed and they both look brand new like they just came off of the Chevrolet lot, it's real 
it's hard. Yeah, yeah, you're going back, and now you're just counting on people's words. Photographs, they say a picture tells a thousand words. Uh, I'd like as many of those thousand words as possible. Give me a bunch of photographs, and I can say, no, look, I can show you right now. This was a bad crash. You can see one bumper's inside the rear window of the car in front of it. Right, and those photographs now, I think the cameras today are not only taking good pictures, but they show for sure where that picture was made. They do. That's That, that metadata that's in there on the phone um, can be helpful. Um, rarely is it a huge issue, but every now and then it is. You know, I say that because generally speaking, in a car accident case, for example, if you got a picture of a Honda crashed into a Chevrolet, there's not likely to be an argument later where the other side says, no, 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 that's not my car. <laughs> it, it, usually you're not going to fight about, no, this actually happened on Main Street, um, but they can be really helpful. They also show you the time. Uh, the time information and the date information can be extremely helpful in some circumstances. As vehicles are getting moved around, for example, it's helpful to say, well, this photograph was taken before the one showing the pickup trucks now uh, back on the road. This photograph from before showing the pickup truck pulled off the side of the road and, and in a culvert was timed at 9 o'clock a.m. The picture of it back on the road is at 9.30 a.m., so that's after somebody moved it. The time can be really, really helpful. Tell you what let's do. Let's pause for just a moment. We'll come back. And let me mention, if you have any questions or comments, probably uh, be best if you would text them to us. 615-893-1450, but you need to do that on your cell phone. I don't think regular phones can text <laughs> unless you have a different kind of phone. <laughs> 615-893-1450. Brandon Bass is with us this morning. He is an attorney here in town with John Day Law. We'll be right back. The Wake Up Crow, weekday mornings, 6 to 7.50. WGNS, your good neighbor station. Rutherford County's place to talk. The calendar may have changed to a new year, but are last year's expenses still hanging around? If so, give Heritage South Community Credit Union a call. We help when others won't, and we offer debt consolidation loans to turn several debt payments into one easier-to-manage payment. Or, if you want to get ahead, start saving for this year's Christmas expenses. Our Christmas Club account is a great way to save a little bit automatically every month. Visit HeritageSouth.org to open an account or learn more. Insured by NCUA. Does being a caregiver for your loved one wear you out? Then Arosa Care is here to help. Arosa has an experienced team of caregivers and licensed care managers who help families make educated decisions regarding the aging process. This is Erin Keogh Rankin. Let me help you. Call us at 615-848-6774 or find us at arosacare.com. It's so important that we recognize our veterans, shake their hands and say how proud we are of the service that they have given to our country and that we thank them for that. I am Becky Bookner, and we salute our veterans. WGNS proudly salutes and remembers our U.S. veterans who have served our country. I was sent first to radio school. Then, when I finished that, I was sent to Yuma, Arizona, to gunnery school. 
Dr. Charles Edwin Howard, a World War II veteran. And here we started out with shotguns on the back of a pickup truck standing up, and we fired at discs thrown out, went around a big circle. We went from that to a place where we sat, and they showed pictures of airplanes coming out of the side and front and so forth, and we fired a light gun at these. Then they sent me to Savannah, Georgia, and there we met the crew that we would fly with. Dr. Howard was in the U.S. Air Force. November of 1943, we got on the Ile de France, the old iconic luxury ship. I was uh, 13 floors down from the top. It was very uh, sickening and very hot, bad, slept in a hammock. It took us quite a few days to get across. Oh, I was sick almost all the time. So was everybody else. But uh, we finally docked right out of Glasgow, Scotland. We got in a truck and drove to a place called Defum Green. That was a little village, and all around this village was the base, 452nd Bomb Group. And that was my assignment. This has been a salute to veterans on WGNS Radio. Restoration One of Middle Tennessee. A team of experts and immediate responders who help homeowners after disaster strikes. After disaster strikes. Fire, water, or storm damage. We can help you get your life back to normal quickly. Restoration One MiddleTennessee.com. Locally and veteran owned. If you're looking for an authentic relationship with financial experts who genuinely care about your unique needs, Capstar Bank is for you. Capstar Bank is dedicated to the people of this community. Capstar Bank wants to help you reach your financial goals. Because at Capstar Bank, you matter to us. Capstar Bank, 2230 Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard, capstarbank.com, member FDIC, equal housing lender. We'll see a few spotty rain showers this afternoon. Mostly cloudy skies, a high in the mid-50s. Northwest winds of 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 39. We're News Radio WGNS 100.5, 101.9, 1450. Online and on your phone at WGNSRadio.com. Welcome back. Remember, listeners in the Smyrna area, tuned to 100.5. Listeners in Smyrna, 100.5. In the Murfreesboro area, it's 101.9, as well as AM 1450. And welcome back. Brandon Bass is our guest today. He is a local attorney from the John Day Law Firm. We're talking about the life of a lawsuit. When do you decide that you need to have a lawsuit and what do you do when you make that decision we were talking about if you were in a traffic accident let's let's continue in that uh, particular thought because that's probably the one that most people I guess would have a chance of being involved in but the practice of what do you decide to do is similar in in all of these so we are uh, taking pictures at the scene Pictures, like, like you say, are worth a thousand words. Uh, so important. And, and it's amazing when you think everything is cut and dry. I know what happened. I was there. What the other person sees could be totally different from what you thought you saw. Yeah, it's. Um, I'm sure I've had a case 
where everybody agreed with what happened, I don't remember it. <laughs> uh, it, it is. Well, what happens? Everybody remembers what they want to remember? Is that it? Or are some people just really trying to get out of something? Uh, I think it's a little little of column A and a little of column B, frankly. I don't think everybody is, is willing to um, perjure themselves or, or, or give up their credibility for a lawsuit. I don't think... I'd like to think most people are not, but you know, our brains aren't perfect. We're not computers recording video on a constant basis. Um, I, I, we've all forgotten things, and the more you remember something, the more you talk about something. There's, uh, I can't remember what the phenomenon is in memory, but the more you talk about a memory event, the more you destroy the original memory and replace it with the way you described it the second time. So as time goes on, you keep getting asked about this crash you were in a year ago or whatever. It, you're just erasing the original memory and replacing it with whatever you said afterwards and it, things can get spun out of control. There is no substitute then for the actual evidence being gathered up. We talked about a car accident, but when you talk about, a, for example, a tractor trailer, those things do have all kinds of data that has to be gathered. Every truck driver who's driving on the over the road has to keep a log book that writes down, you know, where they were, when they left, when they slept, etc., just to make sure that they're not on the road for 24 hours straight without an ounce of sleep, and that they keep they get off the road, they take naps, and they they're not also required to work for a month straight without a day off. Every one of us who's made a long road trip, no, that'll add up. That'll, oh, that'll yeah. catch up to you. Yeah. So gathering all that stuff is of critical importance. Um, you can't sit there at the scene of a crash and say, by the way, Mr. Truck Driver, I'd like your log books and I'd like your maintenance records for your truck and things. That's where finding out the identity of the other people in the crash, getting all that is important, and then a lawyer can later gather that information for you. So they're not supposed to change the entries in the logs or uh it's a federal crime if they do um, okay. it is absolutely now a lot of truck drivers used to keep paper log books where they would just write it out take a pen and say i started work at 8 a.m and draw a line just like on a timesheet and say i finished up at 5 p.m i left from jackson tennessee and i ended up in uh uh morristown or what have you well that seems like a long drive yeah. It seems like they were going slow if it was 8 to 5 to get from Jackson to Morristown. Uh, but in this day and age, a whole lot of them are tied into companies' computer systems. So the company's computer pulls up the logbook from GPS and detects that the drivers put it in gear. They detect where the driver is at all times, and it's just updating it constantly. Gathering that stuff is uh, it's invaluable in a case. Now, you were mentioning the wording of things. It's interesting how words are used. Uh, we were looking at a, a police report recently, and it talked about this vehicle was stationary and that another car hit it. It didn't use the words that it was broken down, stopped, was not moving, uh, any of those words. It just said stationary. And then when the other car hit it, they both moved forward into more traffic. A little confusing because one of those vehicles was a tractor-trailer truck, and I don't know how a car could push a tractor-trailer truck forward. Oh, is that what it was? The tractor-trailer yeah. was stationary and the car knocked it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I haven't seen that too often. Um, 
partly uh i guess if you had a big escalator one of these large suvs maybe but you know a lot of times your windshield's below the bumper on a trailer i don't know how you rear end a tractor trailer and and, and push and, it forward yeah uh <laughs> in tennessee interestingly uh, the police report itself is inadmissible in court oh yeah, absolutely okay. the police report is a document that's supposed to be um the police officer doing a good job of recording all that kind of stuff we talked about witnesses names who the why people, were they stationary <laughs> well and they're not even getting into that they're just oh, getting, really because from that point forward now the lawyers can start digging in and figuring things out and why would you put stationary i could think of a few reasons number one is they might just write stationary every single time and not ask any more of the questions whether your foot's on the brake or parking brakes on or anything but the other part is um it may not be clear let all the lawyers and the judges and the juries figure it out later but here's the information that the police officer could gather from the scene i'll also tell you i see crash reports several times a week i don't know how many crash reports i look at in a year um and they're often very 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 wrong i mean just i don't say that in terms of because my client says this i'm saying uh you described they usually say vehicle number one and vehicle number two and they just yeah, that's what the they do but then they explain what vehicle one and two are and sometimes the officer in, in in their haste gets vehicle one and vehicle two mixed up just demonstrably so you look at it and say well this is just impossible you know vehicle number one uh rear-ended vehicle number two and vehicle number one was in front the whole time so they, they it could not have happened so what tennessee law did a long time ago is say the police report itself is the starting gate for an investigation we you me and every juror everybody else would put way too much weight on it we would just assume that police officer must have gotten it right but there's so many times when a police officer is doing their level best while they're still getting a call to go to the scene of another crash or maybe there's a break-in or something else that they've got to get to so they make typographical errors just like the rest of us and if that thing is taken as gospel it would be uh, it could be really unfair to the folks thus again pictures take pictures pictures are invite don't count on the police officer be taking pictures either in tennessee rarely do police officers take photographs and other evidence at the scene unless they believe there's a fatality or a crime's been committed like somebody's been under the influence or something now what about uh, traffic cameras we have traffic cameras lots of them here in the area we have surveillance cameras at stores businesses that are you know right in front of the crash scene or whatever the crime might have been uh, can you use video and pictures from there is it difficult uh, do they keep the film, the pictures from the traffic cameras? That That is an excellent question. That is why I would call a lawyer quick. Those things, when they were videotaped, it was easier to see. They just taped over it. I used to tape over movies all the time at, at my parents' house when I was a little kid on VHS. Uh, but even with computer, with uh, digital cameras, they don't have an infinite number of hard drives at every gas station in town. So they're recording over them two or three days later getting to the sources as quickly as possible you mentioned stores surveillance cameras uh, many 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 times you can find a nearby store that'll happen to have a surveillance camera that picks up some or all of a crash those are really important and they'll be gone if you don't get them pretty quickly uh 
the same thing is true. The traffic cameras, um, the red light cameras, I don't know what the turnaround time is before those get recorded over. But we don't have any here anymore. We, we don't have any more? No, they took them away. Well, but uh, we still have cameras at intersections not owned the red, by the city. Yeah, not the red lights, but yes, they yeah. got the cameras. Mm-hmm. I don't know, though, how often they record those or how often they record over the data. Um, uh, it's not Google. You can't get your Gmail email from 1999 pulled up. It's going to be gone. So reaching out quickly, and especially a, a small business, small businesses, uh, a small retail store is not in the business of recording everything that comes around it. Most of them just set up surveillance so they can catch a thief if they're getting shoplifted from. They're not going to have records going back months. It may be only days that you can get it. So reaching out real quickly is very, very, very important. Um, I've gotten some where it showed unequivocally. You could see the person driving right up to the end of the crash. Um, it, and it wouldn't be there if the person had called a week later that it would have been recorded over. We have a listener who's asking about, uh, they say they, their son was involved in an accident during the snow that we had recently. And she's not sure that uh, it was anybody's fault, but uh, she does know that there's a lot of repair that needs to be done on her car. Uh, what does she do? That's an excellent question. So first, that's a good way to look at things right off the bat. You don't know whether anybody's at fault. Not everything happens because somebody did something wrong. Some stuff just happens. Um, the way to figure it out is you got to do a little bit of it, an investigation, do a little bit of some digging. Um, I can't answer, obviously, without knowing more than that, but you got to dig into it and figure out did, did the person, uh, did the other person in the crash? Were they driving too fast for the conditions, for example? I learned to drive in Michigan uh, when I was 15 and with my little learner's permit. So I got really used to driving in ice and snow, but not everybody down here has that same degree of experience. We talked about the, the snow. Uh, was that last? Well, yeah, just last week. No, that was last week. Because <laughs> uh, we're talking about having it again this week. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, you got to be careful when it's snowing. And frankly if you're driving too fast for the conditions that includes ice snow rain darkness or anything else you're putting yourself and everybody else on the road at risk so if the other driver was driving too fast that'd be one reason why they shouldn't that they should pay if they're doing other stuff that um uh tailgating for example if you look at what the defensive driving courses and you look at what kids learn when they're learning to get their driver's license, the rules that they generally say are keep two seconds distance between you and the vehicle in front, but add a second for every adverse condition. That includes, you know, is one of the vehicles a motorcycle? Is one of the vehicles a tractor trail? Add a second for that. And add a second for snow, rain, ice. If the person's following so close that they didn't give themselves time to stop, that's potentially their responsibility. Um, so what should what should they do when they're trying to figure out how to get a car fixed when all this has happened? What I would generally do is if everybody's okay, nobody's got any risk of being hurt. 
that I would generally call my insurance company and call their insurance company and say, here's the situation and we got to get this car fixed. You'd rather have their insurance company pay for it because most of us have deductibles on our own auto policy says, you know, I pay the first 500 or $1,000 or whatever it is. I'd rather not pay that first 500 or $1,000. <laughs> so the other person's insurance, I'd rather pick up the, the receipt for fixing the vehicle. Those are the people I would call. I would not call around to those if anybody was hurt. If anybody's hurt, then I want a lawyer to be making the calls for me. Because um, anything you say to the insurance company can and will be used against you in a court of law. Can't help you. It can only hurt you. This person uh, is also re-asking a question. They're saying, what happens if both of the individuals have the same insurance company? Great question. The answer is um, what insurance companies should do and almost invariably do is they assign both drivers to a different claims representative and they sort of erect a wall between them. Claims representative for John has no access to the files that were submitted for the claims representative for Maria and vice versa. They can't see. They're, they're, they're supposed to be blind to each other's data. And I believe they are because sometimes they come across and say, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> well, we got it from your insurance company. So, um, so they try to keep it set up that way. I have not encountered any situations where it really impacted the the victim to where the other because they both had the insu same insurance company I, i've not encountered anywhere i thought that the insurance company was abusive in that respect one key factor is by default under tennessee law and, and the law of every state in the union that i know of when we buy insurance we also buy insurance to protect ourselves from others so if you get hit by a hit and run driver or somebody without insurance your own insurance will is supposed to pay for what they can't afford to pay. So getting on the horn with your own insurance is important for that reason. If, if you get hit by somebody who speeds off from the scene, then obviously you can't contact the hit and run driver's insurance company, but your own can step in to pay the loss. Also, uh, what else should we be doing? We were looking at things you need to be doing at the scene, taking pictures, gathering information who's involved getting information about the witnesses are there any other things we need to be doing once you get away from the scene you know if, if you need medical attention if you need to take an ambulance take an ambulance but otherwise if you're going home go home uh get safe if you are feeling hurt go to the doctor go to a walk-in clinic just go down and get checked out you want to get checked out for a couple reasons first as we talked about you get in a, a anything beyond a, a love tap so to speak and your body just feels jarred to begin with most folks wake up the next day feeling sore regardless of whether the soreness means anything getting it checked out by a doctor uh, can give them the chance to find something before it turns bad it also frankly makes a record shows the other side that yes I was hurt I'm not just making it up so getting on the path to wellness early is often very important. Um, there's many times when people call me and say I was in a car accident. I didn't feel real bad afterwards. But then a couple weeks later, I fell down the stairs at home. 
and since then I've been hurting. I did, if you didn't go to the doctor between the car accident and falling down the stairs, it starts to get real difficult for judges, juries, and doctors to come in and say, we think that your problems are from the car accident and not from the subsequent fall down the stairs. You didn't see anybody in the meantime. So getting a record of it in a medical record is uh, it's often helpful and sometimes necessary. So you're saying probably not a bad idea to be checked out even if you're feeling good. Yeah, if you've got any concerns whatsoever, I would go see my family doctor or go see a walk-in clinic. They can get you on the path to wellness. And knock on wood, they tell you you just wasted our time. <laughs> knock, on, nice. you know, knock on wood, it, it, everything's perfectly okay and, and uh, a Tylenol is all you need. Uh, but if you have something more significant, and, and I've seen people who didn't realize that they had a concussion, for example. Why? Partly because they had a concussion and they, didn't, they weren't thinking right to begin with. So important things to be thinking about. We're going to pause for just a moment. We will continue the conversation. Our guest this morning, local attorney Brandon Bass. And Brandon is with the John Day Law Firm. We'll be right back. There are places where people talk, and then there are places that people talk about. News Radio WGNS is both on air, online, and on the phone. Schedule online anytime. Getting an appointment with Ascension Care Teams at St. Thomas just got easier with online scheduling. Now you don't have to break away from your day to book the care you need when and where you need it. No matter where you are or what you're up to, whether you're a new patient or if you've been here before, just pick the appointment that works for you. Schedule online anytime at GetSTHealthCare.com. Another service that I offer to make a funeral book. This is Jenny at Ryan Flowers Coffee and Gifts. And when I do that, I go to the funeral home and I'll take photos. And I'll add photos with some other items and verses and personalize for them. It's something they can treasure. And when I feel that connection with them, I feel I can do my best service to them. Ryan Flowers Coffee and Gifts, 117 South Academy, just a couple blocks off the square. Good morning. I'm looking at a minor crash up against the wall in a terrible spot on 24 westbound at Hickory Hollow Parkway. It's already heavy enough now with all that traffic volume on 24 headed towards Davidson County, towards Nashville. Again, that's two cars up against the wall on 24 westbound right at Hickory Hollow Parkway. PensacolaBeach.com has everything under the sun to help you plan out your next getaway. Log on today, PensacolaBeach.com. I'm Commander Chuck with your on-time traffic. We'll see if you spotty rain showers this afternoon, mostly cloudy skies, a high in the mid-50s. Northwest winds of 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio WGNS. Currently, it's 39. Hi, this is Gator with Tire World Off-Road. We're your local rough country dealer. So when you're ready to add some character to your rig, ask for Gator at Tire World Off-Road on Memorial Boulevard. This is Sean Brown at Tire World on Broad Street. Online at tireworld.us. Talk with the police chief, the mayor, and other local leaders about issues that concern you. The Action Line with Bart Walker, weekdays at 810 on WGNS. Brandon Bass is with us this morning from John Day Law Firm. We're in the final minutes of our broadcast. We've been talking today about 
How do you set up a lawsuit? What do you do? What do you need to be doing uh, if you're involved in a traffic accident, getting it ready for a potential lawsuit? Before we leave, we have about a minute and a half left. Uh, Can you sort of summarize what people need to be doing? Sure. Here's the first thing. If you're in a car accident or something else where somebody may have been hurt, yourself included, just take care of everybody first. Just do the right good thing. Then document, document, document the stuff that you're not going to, you may think is silly and it should be available, but how many of us have gone through and tried to find our car keys or something? Once it's gone, it's really hard to find even if you put something down. Once you've left the scene of a crash or a dog bite or a serious fall, trying to figure out who's that dog, who owned that dog is really, really hard if you don't have a picture of it or anything else. So get the evidence. And Bart, you raised an excellent point. For the last 20 years, we've all been walking around with uh, computers in our pocket that have cameras and everything. Uh, That's an excellent source to just document things without having to have a pad of paper and a pen. Then after that, see how you're doing. If you're hurting or, or somebody else was hurting, go get checked out. Don't don't delay. Don't give an opportunity for something else to come up and maybe explain away your injuries, or for somebody to say, "Well, you could have been, you couldn't have been hurt that bad if you didn't think it was important to see a doctor the same day or within a day or two. Go get checked out. A walk-in clinic's a great resource for that. And then, you know, if if you or somebody else in the in the event is having real problems, I would call a lawyer early that evidence is going to go away whether whether you think it's important or not it may be you don't know what the other side's going to come up with down the road and if you can get that surveillance camera footage or anything else it's it's really really helpful to gather it early um again knock on wood bart best case scenario is everybody tells you this is not you're making a mountain out of a molehill but i'd rather find out that than find out I did not address everything uh, in a timely fashion. Brandon Bess, our guest from John Day Law Firm.